we're doing another review incentive. So at the end of May 2024, we're going to pick one person who wrote a review between now and then to get a free one-on-one session with me. Instructions are in the description of this episode. And I just want to express how much I appreciate you. At this point, if you're a regular listener, you've got a whole bunch of access to the truth of who I am and to my soul. And that makes me feel really, really good. That is exactly the type of relationship that I want for us to be cultivating together. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your review. I hope it's you that I get to do a one-on-one with. I appreciate you so much. Hello, and welcome to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. My goal is to help you become exactly who you want to be. We're here to help you take your biggest, boldest, most beautiful vision for life and turn that vision into reality. Welcome back to the Flynn Skidmore podcast. Thank you so, so much for being here with me. Thank you for all the love and support that you've given me. To be honest with you, like I, I still have this experience of like not actually integrating the truth that people want to hear the things that I have to share. Like I know that my experience and my perspective is valuable, but then to be given the evidence that it actually is meaningful to you and that it matters to you is surprising, so delightfully surprising every single time. And I will offer this, like I, you know, like so many of us, I, I was given the conditioning that getting recognition and validation is like not what I'm supposed to want. And if I ever did want it, I shamed myself for it. The truth is as a projector, and if you know what that means, um, then this will be meaningful. But, but even if you don't know what that means, I get a lot of energy from recognition. And when you reach out to me and let me know that the stuff that I share actually is meaningful to you and it helps and it's helpful. It's making a difference in your life. It helps you navigate like speaking with your daughter who's struggling with depression. It helps you navigate making choices about your career. It helps you give yourself permission to be bolder, be bigger, like really own who you are. Um, it, it is immensely energizing for me and it helps me wake up every single day with this like really, really determined, determined focus um, to continue helping you. So I just, I wanted to take time to thank you for being in this relationship with me because it is, it is a relationship and it's one that I want to have with you for decades. Honestly, like I want to be a part of each other's lives for decades and, and to continue helping you have what you want and live the life that you want. So let's let's talk about getting what you want. That's what today's episode is about. Last episode, we uh, discussed your unconscious, some elements of understanding your con- unconscious and, and how to kind of tap into it to harness its power. Today, we're speaking about how to know what you want. It's um, It sounds like such a simple thing, but I think that you're going to come away from today with a a much deeper, more nuanced understanding of what it means to want something and what it means to understand what you want and understand what other people want. There are layers to it. And when you only see the surface layers of, of what it means to have a desire to want something, life is very, very confusing 
I want you to step into a version of reality where you get to be infinitely curious, where you're not judging what you see on the surface in yourself and others. You see everything as an opportunity to understand more. Oh, interesting. If you get that, then what happens? Oh, and then what happens? Who do you get to become if you have this? Oh, who do you get to become? Oh, got it. What you want is a feeling in your body. And right now you're operating with this sense that getting a nose job or getting a million dollars is going to be the thing that produces that. Now, the best version of reality to me is one where we're not judging anyone for any strategy that they're engaging in in order to produce what they want. The person who wants a nose job, like maybe that is the best strategy for them to amplify joy and delight. Maybe the person who wants a million dollars, maybe that is the best strategy for them to amplify the internal experience that they want. Is It's not our job to judge what we, I mean, I guess it is if you want it to be, that's not the job that I'm applying for. I'm applying for the job where what we get to do is create space within ourselves and and for others where where we really get to explore what it means to want something and and um, help ourselves and under and other people understand what it is that we actually want. So I want you to come what I want is joy and delight and love and fun. And I want you to come away from today with, with a very clear understanding of, of what it means to want something, how to know what you want so that you have access to a greater degree of freedom internally in your own world and in your relationship with others. So we're going to speak about what gets in the way of what you want. We're going to speak about how to make decisions about what you want. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about who a person is who gets what they want who that person is and how they operate and what they're able to offer to the world and some some elements of of who they are and how they operate. Okay, first, what gets in the way of what you want? It's judging what you want. It's thinking that you're fundamentally broken. It's thinking that what you want will hurt other people. And it may also be that you don't just don't yet have a framework for understanding what it is that you want. Okay, judging what you want. Let's let's go with the nose job example. And let's say like you think that you're a person who's like, oh, it's we it's like true beauty is aging graciously and not like manipulating our faces. You're judging that thing, right? If you if you judge someone else for the choices that they make about what they do with their body or whatever, it's not that it's bad. Like it's okay for you to have a preference about that. But what it lets us know is that you don't know what it means to want something and you're not applying a framework to yourself to understand what the underlying more deeper, more core wants are. Um, so the guy who, I, it might have been, two, it was two guys who created neuro-linguistic programming. One was a plastic surgeon who ended up being, I think, a cognitive scientist. The other one was a linguist, so studied language. Uh, the guy who was the plastic surgeon he so he had this practice and people would come in to him for all these different cosmetic procedures they'd get the nose job they'd get you know whatever it is that they needed like the the lift the chin whatever and they'd get it and then they'd still be the same person maybe even more miserable than they were before the cosmetic procedure because when they didn't have the nose they wanted then they could blame the nose on the thing that wasn't fulfilling them or satisfying them. And then they get the nose and they're like, fuck, well, what is it then? I'm still miserable. I'm still ashamed. I still like have these insecurities about my appearance. 
So then, so then from that experience, he was like, wow, what do people actually want? And why is it that when they get a nose job, they're not getting what they want? Now, again, I am not, I, if a person wants to spend their entire, if they want to like have triple like L boobs, like the biggest boobs ever and like the biggest lips and like all, and like the tiniest nose, if that's what a person wants to create and they are, they're like, yeah, I, I, it's very delightful and joyful for me to create this. And they're on with themselves about that. I want that person to do that because I like being around people who know what they want and who are bold enough to create what they want. I, I What I judge is someone who's not being bold and taking ownership of what they want. So I, again, this is not, I'm, I have zero judgments about this. It just so happens that most people who are getting cosmetic surgery don't know what they actually want. They don't know the feeling that they're looking to access when they have this thing. So I get a nose job. Okay. What does that do for you? Um, well, then I get, then people will think that I'm more beautiful. Um, let's just go with the simple version. Then people think that I'm more beautiful. Okay. Then, then what does that do for you? Well, then I know that I have a higher chance of like having someone fall in love with me. Okay. What does that do for you? Well, then I get to release the anxiety and the worry about no one loving me. Well, what does that do for you? Well, that lets me know I'm worthy of love. And what does that do for you? Well, that gets me to relax and to be at peace. Got it. Okay. What you actually want is relaxation and peace. You're op, you're like, you're operating through the lens of a part of you who believes that relaxation and peace is conditional. And you probably learned that somewhere in childhood. You're not allowed to re- relax whenever you want. You're not allowed to be at peace or it's not safe to relax and be at peace whenever you want. You, you might have experienced social rejection or you learn that you need to look a certain way in order to have the internal experience you want. So then this part of you in the most genius way comes up with this strategy strategy to try to access relaxation and peace, which is to look a particular way. And if you look that way, then you get relaxation and peace, then you belong and all that. It, the, the, the tragic part of it is that it just doesn't work. You get the nose job. And the, the problem is, is that you haven't practiced the internal experience that you want leading up to getting the external thing that you want. So you get the external thing, but you still don't have it in your body and in your nervous system of practice being the person that you want to be. Who are you when you have infinite, abundant access to joy, relaxation, and peace? How do you treat the cashier? How do you speak to people in your relationships? Like, Are you holding yourself accountable to actually being what you want and creating environments around yourself physically, in your body, in your mind, in your relationships that are an energetic match for the energy, relaxation, and peace that you want? Or are you not holding yourself accountable? And you're not sleeping in a way that's conducive to to peace and relaxation. You speak to people that's not in, conducive to peace and relaxation. You're you're operating with something that's not an energetic match for what you want, and then you think that the way to fix that problem is by getting a nose job. Let's say now, and that's that's why it doesn't work. So when we are judging other people's choices that they're making 
like, oh, it's bad to get a nose job. Like natural beauty is the thing. Oh, like money is stupid. Money, sex, power. They're pursuing things that aren't true for the soul. I know that that person who's saying that doesn't know what they actually want. Their, their awareness is, is on the level of what we can call strategies. They're, they're, they're identifying the strategies and then they're defining the person as their strategies, not engaging in this like really sincere, beautiful, open hearted, curious, infinite exploration of, oh, you get a million dollars. What then? Oh, you're addicted to sex and you want, um, 10,000 DMs every single day with options that you could have sex from. What would that be like to get that? What would that do for you? What would it be like to have sex with every person on the planet? Like, just learn, learn about the energetic desire underneath the thing. And you create this world where you just realize like judge, there's no use for judgment. It's, it's just not an effective tool. You're inhibiting your own understanding of yourself and you're inhibiting your capacity to be close to others and invite this deep understanding for other people to help them see what they really want. The thing is, is we all want the same exact things. We all want the same things. Empowerment, love, belonging, delight, joy. The tragedy of the human experience is that we've just been conditioned to believe unconsciously that those things are finite and they're scarce. So we develop personalities and pursue, like we pursue things from this belief that the things that we actually want are scarce and we run on this hamster wheel desperate for oxygen trying to get what we actually want but we never end up getting it that that is the thing that i want to 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 help with is to help you understand how to actually get what you want and if you're judging uh if you're judging other like if you're judging the things that you see on the surface it means that you're doing it Internally, another another example that I think is really really valuable comes from uh, Naval Ravikant, who's like I I love him. He's incredible. Um, Indian guy, think first generation Indian, maybe second generation. Grew up in New York City, New York City public school system. So near and dear to my heart. Ended up making a whole lot of money, I think, in tech, and and now is kind of like philosopher guy and. Um, He's incredible. One of the things that he says, and and I like, he gets to be bold about this, which which I love. I'm a little uncomfortable with this boldness, but I'm gonna just proxy it to him. Um, if you hate rich people, you'll always be poor. The idea is like you're judging the strategy that you're seeing. You're not being curious about what this person who's pursuing money or wants money actually wants, um, and and curious about whether or not it's actually producing it for them. If you're judging the thing that you see, you'll never practice being a person what it uh, who understands what it means to know what it is to want something, and then you'll never get what you want. So it's not about becoming rich or the money. It's about the thing that you hope the money is going to do for you, the internal experience. Uh, okay. Another, another thing that gets in the way of what we want is this fear that we're broken. So, okay, if I own the truth of what I want, I want a fulfilling, meaningful, loving relationship and I go for it 
and then I, it doesn't work out, then then I'm going to prove the thing that I was afraid of all along, which is that I'm fundamentally broken. I'm not attractive enough. I'm unlovable. Or maybe I am attractive and like I do bring a lot, but for some reason, I just can't attract the relationship that I want. Uh, and that means that something is fundamentally broken about me. So if I fully own what it is that I want and I fail, then I'm going to find out that I'm broken. So it's better to avoid finding out that I'm broken than it is to remain in this mildly disappointing life forever and not like challenge myself, not, not take ownership of what I want and challenge myself to become a person who has that thing that I want. Uh, so it's, it's trading off mild disappointment for what you think is going to be like earth shattering information to find out you're broken. And I just want to, I just want to give you a perspective that it, what that does is it, that asks you to question your assumptions about change. Because if you, if you think that there's such thing as being fundamentally broken, it means that you're operating with some assumptions about what the limitations of change are. And what we know now, like like you are the most dynamic, most adaptable technology that has ever existed. As far as we know, like I, I have some pretty crazy perspectives on what's actually possible for change. I think that the wisest thing to do is to believe that anything is possible. I, I even think that it might be wise to think like I could grow six inches if I want to. Now, am I going to invest my time and attention and energy into growing six inches? Not necessarily because I can't currently think of anything that that would get me that I don't already have access to, but I like operating with a super extreme perspective for what's possible with with change because that it's like, okay, well, if anything is changeable and I'm experiencing a certain pattern or a certain result, well, then I can just change to become the thing that has the thing that I want. And we know that that, that then become that gets encoded on a neurological level. It gets encoded on a genetic level. You're then able to pass that change off onto your offspring. <laughs> like it's a fucking crazy thing. It's almost like you have a responsibility to change. You have a responsibility to find the disempowerment in yourself and transform it into empowerment because you're going to pass that on to your kids. You're going to give that to the world around you. So you may as well choose to operate with an almost limitless perspective on how much change is possible. Okay. Here's a super interesting one. Um, what, what I want will hurt people. I see this, I see this a lot. I actually had a really interesting example of this today in one of our small groups for entrepreneurs, guy who I love. This guy is fantastic. I love getting to speak with him. Spent a lot of time in the activism space. He's a white guy. And what he's been conditioned to believe in the activism space is like he his presence, his identity is inherently harmful and hurts people. So he was about he was about to speak and he sort of apologized for speaking and then right after apologizing for speaking, he was like, "But I want to say something." Now let's think about it like this, right? Okay, there, there. Your nervous system, your body, your energy is operating in one of two ways: disempowered, empowered. Death, life. Fear, love. Uh, decay, nourishment. When he apologized for wanting to speak, 
He was producing decay energy, like contraction, small, shame energy, shame for his presence, apologizing for his presence. And let's let's go to the extreme here and say that then being around that energy of, of contracting and disempowerment kills me. That might have taken 60 seconds off of my life to be exposed to disempowerment like that. But when he said in the instance later, when he was like, but I want to say something, I was like, fuck yes. Own what the fuck you want. Own what you want. You owning the truth that you want to speak. Expansion. Boom. That gives me life. That nourishes me. And every, and then this beautiful thing happened. Like we spoke about it. We processed it. It, it invited everyone out. Like then two people whose names I had been mispronouncing then corrected me. Like he created this, I have goosebumps now speaking about it. He created this ripple effect by owning what he wanted and, and speaking about it. And, and what he's working with is, is this conditioned part of him who believes that his presence, his energy, his expansiveness is harmful to other people. And there, the, the interesting thing about that, right? Cause we're not if there's a part of him who has that, who believes that his presence harms other people, we don't want to judge that. What we want to do is get curious about what that part wants. Okay. So I need to stay contracted and to apologize. Okay. Well, if you, if you successfully contract and you apologize and you avoid hurting everyone forever, then what happens? Well, then people are safe. And if people are safe, then what happens? Well, then they're expansive and empowered. And when other people are expansive and empowered, then what's that do for you? Well, then I'm expansive and I'm empowered. Okay. So what the goal of this apology is, the goal is to be expansive, but what you're doing is using disempowerment and contraction in order to, at some point, hope to achieve the goal of expansiveness. What if you could get more directly from A to B? What if your expansiveness right here, right now, you being the most nourished version of yourself is the thing that does the thing for other people that you want to do. And in my experience, it is. Victoria Washington, on the first podcast I ever did, I can't remember the line. I always like DM her and ask her, what did you say again? It's something like my opulence, my opulence, let's say nourishes others. It was much more like rhythmic and profound and on point than that. But you get the you get the idea. It's true. You in your most expansive state, where you're owning what you want, you're owning that you want life, you want delight, you want joy. That's you giving life to the things around you. And let's be a little bit extreme here and say that if you're not doing that, then you're killing the things around you. And you, I'm going to just say it because this is what I actually believe. We have a responsibility to be the most expansive, nourished versions of ourselves because that's the thing that gives life to the things around us. Now, do we know that life is good? No, but I do know that I like when the people around me have life and are empowered. And I like the idea of holding myself responsible to doing everything possible internally and externally to be able to be an energetic asset and to provide life to the things around me. That also means that I get to operate with a high level of accountability. What are the things in me? What are the narratives that are killing me? What are the ways in which I'm attached and addicted to shame? What are my unconscious wounds that are emitting a decay energy? And what's it like when life is this delightful process of finding those things? Be like, oh, wow, interesting. I apologize for hurting the people around me for operating with decay before, but I'm going to change that now. I'm going to change that into nourishment and I'm going to practice that and I'm going to be graceful and I'm going to be 
friendly with myself and I'm going to expect that the universe, whatever my unconscious will give me opportunities to practice that so I can transform that thing. So, uh, now the next thing that gets in the way of people, uh, knowing what they want is not knowing how to know what you want, like not having a framework for it. I will say this, when you address the three things that we just spoke about, judging what you want, fear that you're inherently broken, um, believing that what you want is going to, that your expansiveness is going to hurt people. A lot of the times when you address that, your wants start to just fruition. They come to the surface. Um, and in the final segment of today, like who a person is, who who, who gets what they want, who lives their life getting what they want, we're going to speak about like how, how to create the most beautiful, nourishing, inviting conditions. So that little genius of what you want can start to bubble up and make itself clear to you. So let's go into decision-making now, because what you want in many ways is about decision-making. Okay. I'm going to give, I'm going to three, three different things here. There's a logical framework, there's the options option, and then there's your inner authority. We're not going to spend a whole lot of time on these. We've actually already spoken about the logical framework. Oh, you want a nose job. What would that do for you? That would make me more attractive. What would that do for you? That would uh, allow me more like social opportunities and it would get me more dating opportunities and it was more likely to get me a husband. Got it. Let's pick one of those things. Okay. Social opportunities. What does that do for you? Uh, then I have cool friends and get to go to cool parties. Oh, what does that do for you? Oh, then I get to um, have fun. Okay. What you want is fun. See, we're breaking this down logically to understand what the core want is here. Neurolinguistic programming uh, is designed a, a method and a framework for this that is just fantastic. Um, we're, we're identifying the core thing that you want, this experience in your body, the energy of fun, the vibrational frequency of fun. That's what you want. Currently, there's a part of you who sees that the best way to access that is by getting a nose job. Now you get to be discerning. Is that true? Am I holding myself accountable for creating a life filled with fun? If fun were an abundant, infinitely available resource, like if I had all the fun that I wanted right now, who would I be and what would I do? And when I become that version of myself, like what happens with my desire to get a nose job? Do I still want it? And if yes, like, yes, my nose looking this way would amplify fun even more than fuck yes, go for it. Create, create the version of yourself that you want to be with the understanding that what you're actually creating is an energetic amplification. Ooh, fun. Okay. Every word I say then is fun. The way that I speak to people is fun. Uh, my, the way like going to bed at a certain time is about fun because when I get nine hours of sleep, I'm more fun the next day. What I eat is about fun. Because if I eat, which I tend to do, 14 oatmeal raisin cookies, then I need a three-hour nap and I'm kind of in a shitty mood. So that's not fun. But then also like being too strict about stuff is kind of like inhibits my fun. So what's it's not about right or wrong. It's not about if the oatmeal cookies are healthy or not. Is is this strategy actually working to produce the intended result? There is no right or wrong. There is just the energetic experience you want to have and the strategies available to you, the options available 
to generate and amplify that internal experience. So breaking it down, breaking it down to you take a bite of the apple and you, your body digests it to the smallest, smallest bits possible. That's what we want here. What would that do for you? Oh, interesting. What would that do for you? Oh, interesting. What would that do for you? What would that do for you? Oh, then a husband tells you that you're infinitely worthy and valid of love. What would that do for you? And you just keep breaking it down till you identify the feeling you want And then you ask yourself, if that feeling is abundantly and infinitely available, which it is, who am I and what do I do? And am I being that person and doing those things? If not, what are the most immediate things to address? And then I start to hold myself accountable for amplifying fun, like actually setting myself up to be an energetic match for fun, a conduit of fun. Yes. Okay. Now, the next thing. So that's the logical framework. The next thing is options. So if you're struggling to know like, oh, do I keep this job because it's stable? Oh, well, what does stability mean? And what does that do for me? And what does that do for me? Remember, it apply, this framework applies to everything. Every word you say, everything this logical framework applies to, everything you do is an attempt to access an internal uh, experience. Most of what you do probably doesn't work to access the intended internal experience and actually might be about an unconscious addiction to the opposite of what you want. And that's okay. We can love that. It's just what the fucking, it's what it is. It's hard. It's confusing, but we're here to switch those things. We're here to make it a little easier. Okay. So options. What to do if you don't know which strategy to pick? I want to feel joy and delight. Should Is surfing the thing to do or is going to this boxing class? So it's like kind of a, not kind of a trivial example, but also maybe the most important decision in the world. Okay. I don't know what I should do. Okay. I'm confused. I don't know which direction should I go? What's the right thing? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, if I don't know how to apply the logical framework, then what I get to do is to pick the option that puts me in a position of having more options. A mentor once said to me, uh, money is powerful because money gives you options. Options. When you dive down the rabbit hole of options, it's fucking amazing. There is a direct one-to-one relationship between the state of your nervous system and your perception of the availability of options. When you have no options available to you, like you come up against a brown bear and you're alone, um, when you have no options, your nervous system shuts down and you curl up and you prepare for death and you release anesthesia so that you don't feel the pain about what's about to happen, aka depression. When you have a few more options, okay, maybe I can run away. I have a, I have like a machete here. Maybe I can fight. Your, the energy in your body goes to your arms and your legs. You, you pump adrenaline and you get ready to fight. When you have abundant, infinite options, that's when your nervous system is in a state of safe and social. That's when you can interpret facial expressions correctly. Your heart is rhythmic and harmonic. Uh, you're, you're communicating love, safety, and belonging. You're picking up on, on, I already said that, picking up on signals accurately. When you perceive that there's an abundance of options, um, you are different. And the truth is, is that no matter where you are, there is, there are 
always an abundance of options. The question is, is are you seeing the world through an unconscious wounded part of you who's like, who, who has come to believe that there are no options or just a couple options? which like makes sense given your experience. And are you going to continue to operate through the lens of that part? Or are you going to operate through the lens of the part of you who's infinite, who has infinite abundant access to options, who lovingly relates to the very human parts of you who only see a, a few options? Okay. So pick the option that puts you in the position of having more options available to you because options are power. And if you, yeah, we'll leave it at that. Options are power. Okay. Next part is who is a person who knows what they want and gets what they want? Well, there's certainly the like Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street energy version of this. And to be honest with you, like that's a person who has power that relies on shadow, kind of like what we're learning about P. Diddy. Now it's like, I think it's a very, it's a, it's a version of power that I think collectively we're moving away from a version of power that rely, that relies on things being hidden in the shadows and relies on people's addictions. Um, like, you know, the thing about P. Diddy, it's a very easy to blame P. Diddy, but there is a whole lot of agreement happening there. So there's a whole lot of codependence with the P. Diddy stuff. And I'm not just talking about the people who uh just like covered him up. I'm though I'm including those. Like I like there's there's this thing with that version of power where it it is able to happen when people are operating through their unconscious wounds and operating through the lens of like addiction to money, sex, power, status, whatever it is. And I hope you know this about me. I'm not judging those things. What I would do is ask those people, all right, let's say you had infinite guaranteed status, money, power for the rest of your life. What would that do for you? I'd be looking to help that person understand the internal experience they want to have and then ask them, okay, well, is like being part of P. Diddy world actually producing that? Or is it producing like immense nausea and shame and fear and anger? Okay. Well, it's not that hanging around P. Diddy is bad. It just may not be the thing that's producing what you want. That version of power relies on 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 shame and and keeping things hidden i really have a sense that we're moving in the direction of a new version of power where uh where it's 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 about it's about people getting to become who they really want to be and getting what they actually want the nourishment the expansiveness that they want not desperately running on a treadmill gasping for oxygen hoping that like they're going to get the thing that they want if they just do this 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 and this and this and this and like violate other people and themselves in this way it's like no what we want is infinitely here right now and in this process of having what we want infinitely right now we get to help other people have the exact same experience and then power is um i think that version of power is very consensual it's very like my best most loving most abundant internal self agrees to be in relationship with you because uh you're helping me be more abundant and produce more energy to be able to help other people be more abundant and produce energy like it's a it's different it's a beautiful thing and it requires us all being honest as fuck about the things about ourselves that we think we're supposed to hide away like that that's us holding our ourselves accountable to contributing to that new model of power. Like I actually don't need, I can, I'm sorry I'm going on this rant here, but I think it is important. 
And I think it's a, it's a, it's while well, say one more thing about it, it's a way that we can evolve therapy. Like when you go into therapy and your safety is predicated on the idea that, uh, everything is confidential. I don't think that's that awesome. Like I like, like, of course you need the container of knowing that your therapist is not going to like talk on social media about you, but the addiction to secrecy and confidentiality, I don't think is the thing that takes us where we want to go. I think the thing is like transparent as fuck, super transparent about all the darkest truths, bring everything to the light and learn how to use the things that we think are supposed to keep hidden away from the world as material for bonding. Because when you know how to do that, when you know that the things about you that you think are supposed to be hidden away are actually opportunities to become closer with people, you're, there's, you're, you're limitless. Like it's, it's next level. And I really, really, really want that for you. Okay. I don't remember. That was not part of the plan. Uh, thank you for sticking with me on that. I do think that there were some valuable points in there that, that, uh, you may have liked. So thank you. Okay. Uh, who is a person who's, who's getting what they, oh yeah, I said getting what they want. And then I was like, but not, um, not like P Diddy version of getting what they want. And I used another example. I can't remember. I'm talking, okay, good. I'm glad I came back here. I'm talking about getting what you want in terms of the fulfillment, the expansiveness, the life, the nourishment, the, oh my God, yes, I get to the freedom. I get to be who I want to be. And I get to help other people have that exact same experience. No matter if I'm a songwriter or a carpenter or a crossing guard, or I make coffee for people, or I'm a coach or a therapist, no matter what I am, what I do is help other people, is give people an energy of helping them have the experience they want and getting what they want. That is the, the sweet spot. So here are, here are the, the, the four components to that. Being an artist, number two, is your taste, your preference, what you like or your highest authorities. Um, number three is as above, so below. And number four is starting small. Okay, an artist. One of the most life-changing things ever for me was choosing to be an artist. And it happened probably six years ago. I don't know, six, maybe five, maybe actually shorter than that, maybe four. Um, and I, and it, it, I, had always, I had always had this desire to identify as an artist, to see myself as an artist. I, you know, growing up in New York City, like, you know, some of my friends, their parents were artists and they lived in lofts in Dumbo before Dumbo was what you know Dumbo to be now. Dumbo was actually the hood. It's right by the Fort Green Projects and it was wild back in the day. But like friends whose parents were artists and these lofts and like painting everywhere and New York City, like artist energy. There's something about that freedom that was so attractive to me. But my primary identity as a kid was being an athlete. And the way that I saw that at the time was that those two things aren't necessary. Like those two things couldn't exist simultaneously. That's the limiting belief that I was operating with. And the the thing that I selected was the athlete one, not, not so much the artist one. And I got to redefine myself a few years ago by saying, I'm going to be both. I'm going to be a professional athlete and a professional artist. I'm going to be the person who's both of these things. I'm not actually a professional athlete. If you know me and you're close to me, you would probably make fun of me for saying that. But those who know me really well know that I like actually want to be like, I want to be on the tennis ATP tour and living life like that. And, um, 
I just find it really fun. I like challenging myself in that way. Professional artist too. Now, the degree of freedom that that offered me was immense. And it's interesting as I was a, you know, I was a therapist. Therapist is very much like, oh, you could hurt people if you do if you say the wrong thing and uh, you're not supposed to share your opinions and you're not so and I was like, fuck that shit. Like that is not it. Worry like worrying about that stuff. That's just not like I really believe in this thing of my soul and being soulful being the thing that's beneficial to other people. I was like, fuck all that getting in the way of me being soulful. I want to be soulful. And to be the most soulful, it's helpful for me to see myself as an artist. And and every like my pursuit of creating content is my art. My my the work that I do with people one-on-one and in groups, like that's my art. Tennis is an art for me. The way that I relate to people is an art for me. It's it's an art. It's creation. It's taking a vision and turning that vision into reality. Now, number two, preferences and taste. So what is that vision? Well, this is where your preference and your taste comes in as your is your highest authority. If you're like if you're getting coffee and you're you're like an interacting with the person at the cashier, the person who's making your coffee, you have preferences for how you want that interaction to be. My preferences, and there's certainly some ego involved in this. Like I have this thing in me where I'm like, I sort of want to shame people who are not kind. Um, which is uh not a very effective strategy, but I do have that in me. Um, I just have that. I don't actually do it, but I like sometimes want to, um, like my preference when I'm interacting with anyone is so much like friendliness. Like I want to actually know this person. I want to learn about who they are and what they want and what their desires are. And I want us to be smiling. I want us to care about each other. If they're feeling shitty, I want them to know that if I walk in, I'm going to ask them about that. Like that's my preference for, how an interaction gets to be. That's my taste. That's what I like. And the more that I have lived life really owning what my preference is for how I like things to be, the more I, the clearer I am able to see what my vision is. And I can see it right now. I can say I got a water today. I didn't get a coffee, but I got a water today at the coffee shop, little lunch in Venice. I can see the people behind the counter and I can see them smiling. And that's what I want to create. I want to create us smiling at each other. So who do I need to be and what do I need to do in order to show up in order to create that thing? That to me is what being an artist is. And of course, there's like, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's the experience of being an artist where you're actually writing, but I don't see that as any different than the creation of interactions with other people. I see it all as the same thing. I'm getting clear on what my preference is for what I, what the world I want to create and how I want things to be and how I want them to look and how I want to, people to teach each other and what I want a book to be like, what I want a business to feel like. And I'm bringing that into reality. It's the same thing with like the amount of money I want to make. The amount of money that you want to make is conceptually the exact same thing as if I gave you a piece of paper and some crayons and said, draw a house with a family who are holding hands or something. It's taking a vision and turning it into reality. Money is a little more complex because there are stories about that, which like I, you know, you know me, I can get into a tangent about that. I won't. Um, 
but it's the exact same thing. You are an artist capturing your preference for what you want, what your taste is, what you like, how you want things to be, the world you want to create. And you are asking yourself, who do I need to be and what do I need to do in order to to bring this thing to life in the smoothest, most beautiful way? If what you want is beauty, you might not want beauty. You might want destruction and chaos, but you probably want beauty. Your preferences are your highest authority. What you like, your taste, it's so valuable. Like your taste is so valuable. I, I, I just really need you to know this. Now, here's the thing. Your taste, your preferences, what you like are your highest authority, but your, high, your authority is no higher than anyone else's authority everyone's authority is is equal. I this is relying on some assumptions, but this is a presupposition that we're going to be like, okay, let's let's just choose to believe this because maybe it's true that your preferences are better than other people's, but that's not something that we can know with certainty. And so what we get to choose is the the assumption that works better to produce the life that we want. So that's what we're doing here. There there's there every everyone's authority is is equal, no better or worse. Now here's the thing about preferences. They your preferences will evolve over time. And but but a lot of people are like, oh, but preferences are ego and they're conditioned. And it's like you're like it's oh it's, I'm sorry. I know this is obnoxious of me, but that annoys me so much because that's operating with such a limited understanding of what a preference is. At the deepest level, your preferences are energetic. So if you prefer groundedness, kindness, love, curiosity, and then on the more three-dimensional way, you you have certain you have certain taste and certain preferences and what you like for like how you move your body, how you dress, like the art you have in your home. Like what the what your what your three-dimensional preferences are is an expression of your deep energetic preferences. And if you live life owning the truth of your preferences, and what you like and what you think is the right thing, and you're practicing experimenting in the three-dimensional world to harness that energy and accurately, successfully capture it, like you set yourself up for for a whole lot of power and, and beauty. Your preferences will evolve. Your taste will change over time. Your preferences for the energy you want probably won't. I mean, you're probably going to want groundedness, joy, delight, peace, enthusiasm, love, fun for the rest of your life. But your three-dimensional, very human like likes, dislikes, tastes change are going to change over time. But as long as you're holding yourself accountable to getting clear on the energetic experience you want, and then making choices about the three-dimensional things, like you're good. You get so much freedom because it it's no longer about, am I choosing the right aesthetic or doing the right thing? It's like, fuck no, I know what I want, which is the feeling I want. And this is currently the best attempt that I have at feeling. Talking to a person like, like this is my best attempt at, at feeling this way. Now, let me check. Did it work or not? Did buying this candle holder work to produce delight? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going with this for now. Put yourself in a position to allow your preferences to evolve. If you hold back on what you like, or if you think that like what other people like or their preferences are more or higher authority than yours, you're not even giving yourself an opportunity to evolve your preferences. And once you understand that what your preferences are actually about is the energetic experience you are looking to have, and you understand that every person on the planet wants the same energetic experiences, it, it's very hard to judge yourself for your preferences anymore. So see your preferences, see your taste as your highest authority, be bold, be confident, be delusionally 
confident about that while also operating with the humility to know that tomorrow it's going to change. And that's fun. Okay. As above, so below creation. Are you creating it every single moment? You'll hear me talk about coffee and the way that you make coffee might be more important than the way that you build your business because the way that you make coffee informs the way that you you build your business. Every single moment, there is an opportunity to get clear on what your preferences are and then to bring those preferences into three-dimensional reality. So are you going to operate with unconscious conditioning where you're like, you saw your parents like scoop in the Folgers and like urgent or like dad's running out the door in the morning while mom is like a little bit upset because she didn't get the morning connection she wanted and you're replaying that urgency and how you make coffee or are you going to make, <laughs> sorry, I'm just laugh, like giving myself a moment because- those were some pretty funny jokes. Are you going to give yourself the opportunity to change that, to transform that, to be like, no, the way that I, the, my relationship with coffee, the, what I've been conditioned is a decay energy. It's urgency. It's anxiety. It's franticness. That's not what I want. What that's not bad, but that's not my preference. My preference is slow, loving, joyful, fun. That's what I want. So what is the way of making and drinking coffee in the morning that is the expression of what I actually want? And then my practice of making coffee is not just about scooping the Folgers in and getting your hit of caffeination. It's about holding yourself accountable to bringing your preferences into three-dimensional reality. And if you do that in every moment in your life, where you're doing it as best you possibly can. A million moments from now, a trillion moments from now, your life is gonna be what you want. It's just gonna because you've made choices about what you actually want and you've used your movement and the things you do in three-dimensional space and time as, as, an, as an opportunity to practice what you actually want. Okay. The, the fourth thing is start small. So, uh, for instance, like the guy in the group, the group session today, like him saying, you know, I do want to say something like, fuck. Yes. That's incredible. That's whom that's a heart pump right there. That heart is pumping a little more powerfully. Now what's the next thing? What's the next thing that you want that you want to own and bring into the world? Uh, I don't, I can't think of an example off the top of my head. I sort of exhausted perfect examples with the Folgers thing, but what's the next thing? And then the next thing. Start small. Like, How do you want your water to taste? How do you want to speak to the person at the uh, cash register? What, what do you want here? Own the truth of what your preferences are. Start small and build it. Boom, 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 boom. Pumping heart, rhythmic. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and you're producing waves around you where you're inspiring others around you to do the same. This is what we mean by getting what you want. I actually feel really good about this podcast. I feel like I explain these things really clearly. I, I will say this model of understanding what you actually want, it took me months of deliberate practice to actually understand. And and then it's been years of applying it in as, as every single moment of my life and how I interact with others, how I view myself. It really takes practice. But you know, we've all heard that thing, nothing worthwhile happens fast or whatever the saying is. This You and I are going to be practicing this for 80 years. And ideally, like you and I will know each other for the next 80 years and we're going to help each other get better at this. And I just, I think it's important to understand like the value of living life this way comes with consistent practice over time. 
And I, I, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but you practice this and you commit to practicing it in every single moment in your life, you're going to live a fucking amazing life. You're going to be opulent. You're going to be an energetic asset and, and your energy, your presence alone invites other people to have the same experience within themselves. That's, that's the world that I want to live in. And, and what I'm doing here is doing my best to create that world by, by sharing these things. So thank you as always so, so much for listening. Thank you for being my friend. Um, thank you for being in this with, for the long run with me. I, I appreciate you immensely. I hope you have a fantastic day. Mm-hmm.